Hey, good morning. Uh, I always say good morning, even though I'm, I literally every time we've shot this, I've said good morning, and I know that nobody's watching it in the morning. It doesn't matter. Uh, my name's Darren, and uh, I'm one of the shepherds on staff at Fullerton Free. This video is called In the Kitchen, and it is uh, it's a video that we put together in preparation for the coming Sunday's teaching. Um, this Sunday, we're talking about Daniel chapter three, so I'll be reading a section of that, and then we're we're discussing it ostensibly for the purpose of equipping and preparing people who might want to do their own study at home with family or roommates or friends or whatever. So um, this will just give you a few few tools to put in your uh, your tool belt and uh, set you up to, to teach it on your own. Or if nothing else, it prepares you for the study we'll be doing together in our services on Sunday. Uh, with me today are uh, Scott Ballon, who is the Shepherd of Heritage Ministries, and he looks like that, and Jen Hale, <laughs> who is both the Shepherd of uh, Human Resources with our staff and overseeing our staff, but she's also uh, one of the teachers in our pursuit ministry and a uh, great musician and you know, on and on and on it goes. And then over here, Kristen Hartman, who's a part of our teaching team here at Fullerton Free, as well as a teacher in pursuit ministry, a frequent collaborator on writing projects. And I mean, she's plugged in all over. So we got a pretty good team today. It's kind of fun. So we're in Daniel chapter three. Uh, it's, it's a little bit long. So maybe for the purposes of our video this morning, I'm just going to read a section of it. Uh, this is the chapter that talks about Daniel and the, or excuse me, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. So a familiar text. It's always good to come at it with fresh eyes because sometimes our presuppositions uh, do us a disservice. But I'm going to start reading today from verse 8. And uh, this just follows the establishment of the fact that Nebuchadnezzar had set up a, a giant image of himself and then was asking people to bow down and to worship it when the music played. So it says at verse 8, Therefore at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? 
And they answered and said to the king, Oh, true, king, true, O king, is what they said. He answered and said, uh, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and the smell of fire and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve, the, uh, serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in the province of Babylon. So there's a lot there. Uh, great text. I would say for me, um, the, the center point of this, and there are a lot of really interesting things, but the center point in this is at the very beginning of, of verse 18, I love where they say, but if not. Um, and because for me, that's the crux of their faith. There's a miracle in this, in this chapter, and it's a miracle whether or not these guys survive the fire, right? It's awesome that they survive the fire, but this story would still be awesome if they were thrown into the fire and died. It would still be a great story because of that, that speech that the guys give. Nebuchadnezzar has set up this deal and it's no different than the world we live in today, where our culture is constantly asking us to worship its gods. And, and uh, they go, yeah, this is a place, again, like we talked about when we were in Daniel 1, this is a place we draw the line. This is, a, this is a thing we have to say no to. And so these guys are standing, and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar goes, all right, maybe you didn't hear, maybe you don't get it, or whatever, but I'm going to give you another chance. When you hear all the music, you know, you better drop down and worship. And then they give this speech where they say, look, our God is able to save us, right? So their confidence is in God. They understand God's power. They understand who he is. They understand what he's capable of. Our God is able to save us from you, right? He, he is a true God. But even if he doesn't, right? There's that, but if not, he's able to deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image. So essentially they're saying there is a God. We know him. And that statue ain't him, right? You know, and you aren't him. And so the bottom line is here, we have confidence that God can save us. And we're going to do the right thing based on our knowledge of God and the fact that he can save us. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that that statue is not God. I like this because I think it takes away the, um, it takes away the exchange of it, right? We've talked before in our services about the fact that when Jesus gets so frustrated and he turns over the tables of the money sellers, what he says is, you shall not make my father's house a house of exchange. It's not a place to buy and sell. It's not a place to barter. There's not a, okay, if I sing the songs, and I give the money, and I pray the prayers, then God will answer my prayers, and I'll go to heaven, and I'll get all these things. But we sometimes reduce our faith to just this, like, capitalistic uh, back and forth, that we just, we do something for God, and then he does something for us. I love in this that they go, we know God's capable of saving us, but it doesn't matter if he does or not. I, I actually think that's drastically different than a lot of the way people approach faith. I think a lot of people come to church with the idea of like, well, in fact, I had a lady, that maybe I shouldn't say this on the video. I had a lady write a card this week to me in the mail that said, I'm, I'm reducing my tithe because I'm not happy 
with the way that you're handling the political situation, right? And and I just, I was shocked by that. But what we've got there is a lady who's going, well, I'm going to give money as long as I get what I want and as long as I like what the church is doing, kind of like you would do with a charity or like transactional. you would do with a, yeah, yeah, it's a transactional thing. And and the that's not what tithe is. That's not what sacrifice is, you know? So there's another conversation that needs to be had on, on my part on that. So I, whatever. But this is saying God is God and Nebuchadnezzar is not, no matter what. So um, I love this text. I think there's interesting things about the one who looks like the the son of the gods in the furnace. I think it's interesting that they say no to him, uh, but then they also say yes to him. So later on, they're in the fiery furnace, and uh, and Nebuchadnezzar goes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. And it would have been very easy in that moment for them to be like, heck no, it's great in here. Like, if you want us, why don't you come on in? Like, we're warm and cozy. Yeah. You know, if you if you want us, then let's see it. But instead, when he calls them out, they submit to that request. They submit to his request to come out. I like again this this ability to discern what do you say yes and what do you say no to. So anyway, I don't want to I don't want to take up all our time. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys see? What would you teach? What what stands out to you in the text? Something that that kind of captured my attention, I guess, is the contrast of um, the favor of man versus the favor of God. And I was just thinking about I think it was just the end of the last chapter two, right? Where they were, these three men were given a huge favor of the king. They were asked to be, I think it's administrators over Babylon, which mm-hmm. is huge for foreigners. So they have this, this um, favor of the king and they're willing to throw it all away because the favor of God is all that matters to them really. And then that's, to me, that's contrasted with Nebuchadnezzar, who at the end of chapter two, I think he said something like, um, your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords. So, so he, he said it with his, his lips. Um, but then his actions say the complete opposite and, and he's almost jockeying for the worship and the attention and the affection of humans, um, with this, uh, image. Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting too. In, I think it's the end of 15. It's like the softball that Nebuchadnezzar tosses out is this question of, and who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Like, it's like he knows. It's like he, he's, he's heard it. He's recognized it. He's seen it. And yet he doesn't want to believe it. He wants to have this statue be built. There's a, there's a self, you know, affirming aspect to who he is, obviously. But yet there's this random little question he tosses out there. And it's, it's obvious. I think he already knows. And yet he's yet to still see. And I think that's really, I feel like that's like, it like sets the tone for everything to come. Like, and all right, prove it to me. Here it is. You know, and he gets an opportunity to let them show exactly what they believe, which is rad. It's funny when people, you know, people have asked this kind of question, not in exactly the same way, but it's always fun when you're in a conversation with someone who doesn't know God and they go, well, like, what's the other option? Or who, 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 who is the God that can do this in essence? You know, and it's always fun to be like, well, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. You know, I, I like the fact that Nebuchadnezzar says, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And it's almost like God goes, well, let me introduce myself. <laughs> Hi. You know? and, and they say, we don't need to answer that question because yep. God's going to do it. You know, God's going to do it one way or another. Yep. And I think, so. I, know, I was just going to say, it's interesting, like what you were pointing out at the end of two, he makes this proclamation, he never comes there about God, and it even says the, the word in 46 where he falls prostrate before Daniel. Yeah. It's the same word as what he asks them to do to the statue. Yeah. Mm. But then, and then he asks who's God, and they let God answer. And then at the end, like his proclamation about 
who God is and recognizing he's the only God who can do this. But he doesn't actually, I mean, he says, I'll kill you. Do you say anything against him? He never actually says, I recognize he's the only true God. He never says, you need to worship this God or I'm going to worship this God. He just says, like, oh yeah, here's another God. Don't say anything bad about him because he's got amazing power. (laughs) But almost like, have whatever God you want, like add him in if you want. But like, so it's this weird back and forth, I feel like, with him. Like recognition, but not submission. Mm-hmm. Like throughout the book, which obviously we'll see in chapter four as well. I was going to say, spoiler alert, I think yeah. he makes <laughs> bad choices again. <laughs> right. Right. It'll come back up. But it is interesting that in that particular case, because they're already a pantheistic society, he's willing to go, yeah, we're, we're going to add the Hebrew God to our list of gods, and we're even going to say he's an important part, you know, he's an important one in the mix. Mm-hmm. But he's not willing to say he's the only one, or he's certainly not willing to say that that's his God, you know. What else? I mean, you can probably tell, if you're teaching this to kids, uh, there's sort of a fun little thing you can talk about when, anytime in school when you're having to do a report, and the teacher gives you a word count, you know, and the teacher says, okay, I want you to write a report on the state of Nevada, and you need to, it needs to be 500 words or more. Um, obviously, when God told Daniel he wanted him to write these chapters, uh, because that's when you when you do a thing like, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipes, and every kind of music to fall that's down. You do, and, and then you repeat that same yeah. thing like four, it's like four times in this text. It's a good or, strategy. Or even when it says they were thrown in with all their clothes, like that's enough. But then it's like, these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, yeah. their other garments. You know, it's, there's just like this list of, uh, let me explain in detail what they were thrown in with. Um, other other things that you love here? I don't know if this is at all a parallel, but something I was thinking about reading it just this week was looking at the part where they're in the fire and walking. Mm-hmm. And, and presumably, I mean, maybe it's an angel, maybe it's precarnate Jesus, but yeah. it had this like kind of flash of a memory to, is this a parallel to the garden in a way? Yeah. Like here they are walking with God, mm-hmm. but one is in the cool of the day and one is literally in a fire. Yeah. Right? Right. So maybe not actually parallel, but... Just an interesting thought of like that communion. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very cool that either um, either it's a Christophany or an early appearance of Christ, or it's the angel of the Lord or another angel. But either way, that communion piece is really interesting. That God doesn't just preserve them, but He's with them in the midst of that. Because you have to imagine that for them, they're imagining, well, hey, it's been nice. Like they're probably saying their goodbyes to each other as they're thrown into the fire. They're assuming this is going to be done. And then to sort of open your eyes and realize you're unbound. Yep. And not only are you unbound, you're still with your friends. And not only are you with your friends, but here, here is a manifestation of the Lord with you too. Yeah. Like that's a pretty cool gift that, you know, you wouldn't expect in this story. One way that God sort of goes beyond what we might imagine would happen. Yeah, and interesting that Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that fourth person. He calls it a, like a son of the gods. It's like a different appearance to this individual, right? So there's something he even recognizes himself, which again is goes into that confusion of him seeing but not really believing, or him it's like this weird tension right. point. But he recognizes there's something different about this person. Right. Well if you want to have a uh, if you want to have a fight around your kitchen table or with your children or roommates, <laughs> the, the best fight to have out of Daniel chapter three is uh, to ask the question, where is Daniel? Right? Where is Daniel in this? Because what will immediately happen is there are people who will go Oh, well, he was probably on a business trip. He was traveling on, on business for the king. Or he probably, you know, there, there are all kinds of interesting little dances people will do to make Daniel seem like a rock star in Daniel 3. 
but some of us, myself included, <laughs> think Daniel is bowing down to the statue here. Uh, and I could be wrong about that. Daniel's probably in heaven like, you jerk, how dare you? <laughs> could say that I bowed down. But to me, um, all, all of our heroes in the Bible are flawed individuals who make really good choices sometimes and sometimes make really crummy choices. And I kind of wonder if Daniel's not bowing down in this moment, just if it's a moment of weakness or, I mean, he could be on a business trip, but the text doesn't say. So when you start to speculate, there's lots of good opportunity to fight with other people. Well, there could be the speculation that he isn't bowing down because it sort of seems like this is a setup for these guys, right? Like if everyone's truly bowing down, who is there to see that they aren't? Right. Um, Because no one's looking. So if he wasn't with them. That's true. He could have been standing, you know, That's true. on the edge. Yeah, or as hiding behind my a curtain. Mom said this week, maybe he's really short. <laughs> oh yeah, he was pretty darn short person. Like, guys, they didn't notice. Guys look different than other people he might have tripped the right times. <laughs> well, when it says the Chaldeans are the ones, right, that turn mm-hmm. that turn these guys in to Nebuchadnezzar. So yeah, yeah, so what is going on with them? Like, I'm, there's, there's got to be a. I was wrestling with that this morning, even like what's yeah, what's going on behind that? Is it because these are foreign guys who are now taking leadership roles that they would want themselves, or they think they should deserve themselves? Were they not bowing down themselves? Because how did they see him? Or were they noticing? I don't know. I thought that was yeah, again speculation, but yep. Well, thank you guys very much for your insight and for the conversation. Hopefully, that gives you a few things to mull over and chew as you prep uh, for Sunday and uh, and diving into Daniel chapter three. God bless you. And we hope that uh, your teaching or your preparation goes really well. And we'll see you very soon. Thanks, everybody.